I haven't got a witty intro for you. We were just so fucking lucky. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Don't normally swear in the intro, but I had to make the point on this occasion. Welcome to episode 469 of Motorsport 101. As you've probably guessed, if you're a regular listener to this show, given the F1 episode that came before it, uh, this is going to be on MotoGP's Catalan Grand Prix, uh, of course, in Barcelona. Uh, one of the big headline Blue Ribbon events of the year. Um, I wish I could be coming to you from a nicer sounding place regarding this. And I feel like I've got to make this point before we really get into it. There was some genuine brilliance that came out of this race weekend. Like Aprilia, if... If, like, if you didn't enjoy Aprilia's post-race celebration, you are not human. It was beautiful. Like, it was... Like, I, I mentioned this when I wrote my Dre's Race Review piece about this race weekend. Like, the scenes were wonderful. Like, like Maverick Vinales, the man who has been through more political drama in MotoGP than anyone in the last decade. And some of it of his own making. Some of it of his, own, of making. It his own making. He'll be the first guy to admit it to you was in tears, hugging his teammate, hugging Alicia Spargaro's children, like 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 the family that they are. Like he said it was one of the best days of his life. And he finished in second. A man that's won nine MotoGP races in his career. You know, Alicia Spagaro, who is one of the most Marmite sort of characters in Grand Prix bike racing, but I love him. I've always loved him. I think he's a fantastic personality and I think the sport needs fiery, passionate, heart-on-sleeve people like him to make the point that he needs to make a lot of the time. Like Always if, good for a quote. And It's a fantastic fucking quote. And I, I think, like, I know enough people to know he is one of the good people in bike racing, one of the genuinely good people. Who, like, if you, if you, if I've, what I've been told by many people is, if you're a friend of a lace, you're a friend for life. Is He's that sort of person. Aprilia was awesome, and a salute to them for how far they've come, because this is their greatest ever day in bike racing. A one-two finish. Top five. Three, like, uh, Miggy was there, too, in the top five again. You know, second time that we've had three Aprilias in the top five in the last three races. Um, they've been brilliant, and there were so many. They used to be the manufacturer where your career went to nine. Now, somehow, that's Honda. Yeah. Um, and it's... <laughs> and, and it's... It's amazing to see because, like, Alicia Spargaro has put the work in. Oh, 100%. He burned, the, he burned the candle at both ends for a long, long time to get to where he is and is now a multi-time race winner out of it. Three wins to his name after going 199 starts before he had his first. It's crazy how these things turn out. We'll get we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it pretty later on in the show. And of course, you can probably haven't tell already. Of course, I'm joined as ever by Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. Always a pleasure to be sharing the ring with them. But it's kind mm. of it's 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 kind of hard. And we'll we'll do the social media stuff at the end of the show. Yeah. I want to get straight into this one. Yeah. yeah, because what's good is not what happened at the start of this Cadillac Grand Prix. No. And we've got to do a little bit of general housekeeping. We didn't do an episode in Austria a couple of weeks ago. We didn't feel like there was enough. We in tried. It. We, we we went into the set list. We tried. It was. Uh, I think I think Dre and I have both said it uh, in private. Uh, getting blood from a stone. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what else is there to say? Like Francesco <laughs> Bagnaia was perfect. Pe- we can only say that Pecco is great. Ducati is great. Ha- Japan is awful. So many times before it starts to get yeah. a little boring. Uh, and we don't want to bore you. We want to entertain you while talking about motorsport. And at the same time, like Austria gave us very little to work with besides Johan Zarco's move to Honda being made official, which we'll get into maybe towards the end of the show if we've got some time. And Jorge Martin playing a game of bowling during the sprint. He thought he was at the go bowling at the Glen. And amazingly, not the worst first corner incident we've had so far this season. And we'll get into the reasons why very, very shortly. So that was the reason why we didn't do an episode in Austria. So forgive us if you're the sort of person that likes the housekeeping of having every race reviewed. Maybe on the Dre's race review column, but not to get everybody out for a 45-minute podcast where we're waffling. Yeah, I don't yeah, believe at the in end that. Of the day, like I, I read, I, I always make it a point to try and read Dre's reviews because they're they're a nice pastime at work, yeah. um, you know. But I there's nothing I one. there's nothing I could have said that wasn't already said in there. And sometimes we agree a little too much on the show. Sometimes we disagree <laughs> quite violently. That yeah. would have basically been all of us saying all the exact same things for forty five minutes. Yeah. So who likes that? So look, it's not that we don't want to do these shows. It's that we believe in a genuine level of quality, and we couldn't justify this one. So forgive us on that. Um, hopefully, I, I, you know I, I don't like this. Is a morbid one, and it's it's a not yeah. a very nice one. But I hope you get more out of this than what we were planning to get out of Austria. Yeah. Is what I would say. Um, thankfully. After initial reports, uh, this one is thankfully going to be less morbid than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Let's let's set the scene here. It's yeah. the first lap of the Catalan Grand Prix, a race that, unlike the last one, this was anything but routine. We get to turn one and sit Ducatis hit the gravel. Enea Bastianini overcooks his entry, tucks the front, and collects Johan Zarco, Marco Bezzecchi, Luca Marini, Alex Marquez, and Fabio Antonio all at once, which gave us a very, a very profound motorsport picture of mm. 2023 of all of, of them the writhing in the gravel in agony. And like, that was already bad. One corner later, championship leader Francesco Bagnaia, again, coming off of a perfect weekend in Austria, odds-on favorite to win the championship, suffers a massive high side, and then had his legs run over by the bracket bracket. Again, Francesco Bagnaia had his legs run over. And amazingly, to paraphrase the words of the legendary Lou Gehrig, Francesco Bagnaia can consider himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth because he only suffered contusions to his legs. It's most likely he'll miss Misano next weekend while... Anea Bastianini will miss the next three races with a broken ankle and hand with reports that Marco Pizzecchi also has a broken hand out of the exchange. Sorry um, to interject here briefly, but in, in the time since I've written my notes on this, apparently Banyai will try to race this weekend. Wow. Yeah, so that was confirmed by Ducati. Uh, I, I'm subscribed to them, uh, to their media newsletter. Um, so I got on the email and just like, wait, fucking what? 
Wow. Yeah. He's going but, to try yeah. and race this weekend. He has to pass the medical clearance on Thursday, but if he does, he he can try to compete. Wow. We'll have to wait and see. It, it gives me say, big Mark. It gives me big Mark Marquez trying to ride out the injury vibes, but hopefully it works out the best. But I don't know. Both of you watched this race. Both of you saw the incident, so y'all can just let's just talk about the incident. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and talking about that, talking about that image. There's one image. Same photographer uh, got one image of the initial crash. And then there's another image of that crash. I think it's Alex climbing up out of the gravel, just yeah. And in the background, you can see Banyaya upside down, down, about 10 feet in the air. Because it was, I mean, he cracked the throttle in the rear of the bike, just barked no. Um, and that was one of the words. That was like a like a two-stroke si- style high side. Hellacious. Um, some of the shit we used to see with like Danny Pedrosa. Um, oh, God, yeah. And you know what it Cam, you know what it reminded me yeah. of the cut you real quick. You know what it reminded yeah. me of? You know when Marquez hit Pedrosa's traction control cord by accident to Aragon in twenty thirteen? Yeah, and, the, and, and uh, Pedrosa's bike just exploded the rear tire out, out out of from under him. That it was a carbon copy of that. It's like this it's like it's like look, Ducati have since come out and said they do not know what caused that high side because they've looked at the data initially and it doesn't show anything out of the ordinary apparently because that's the last bike that you'd expect to do it because the ducati if it's ever going to crash typically uh, has a front tire slip a low side right um which is concerning and we'll talk about some of the greater reasons why because we've talked about them a lot on this podcast but i think um some of the more established moto gp media is now really quite fed up and has talked at length about what's going on with the tires. We'll get into that in a little bit, Mm. but in the weirdest possible way, there's sort of a right way to get run over by a bike, whether it's a bicycle or a motorcycle. Apparently. And in a game of millimeters, and by pure chance, pretty much all the deflection in that incident went onto Bender's front tire. Um, and Banyaya came out of it. I mean, we were talking about it before the the doctors came out and talked about the actual extent of the injury. Um, but this was going to be season ending at minimum. This was going to be potentially career affecting or ending. Um. It had all the hallmarks of it, and thanks to Dorna's brilliant TV direction, which we'll talk about later as well, um, we got to watch Banyaya writhing on the ground in pain in slow for a motion. few minutes in slow motion, uh, as if to capture all of it uh, for everyone watching. But somehow, Peko Banyaya is, relatively speaking, okay. I don't know how. He left the hospital 12 hours later under his own power. I do I not don't know. know how. I like I, Binder, I Binder retired from the race with an issue and uh, with a technical issue and he went to see Benny. He's like I wasn't expecting to see him chilling. Right. <laughs> my god, like, like, a part of my soul came back into my body when he said that cuz I, I needed something to lighten the mood after that because uh, Binder apparently was distraught thinking that he'd done something potentially fatal. And the man's chilling there as if nothing's happened, which is 
ridiculous. Everything about this was ridiculous. And like I said, it was. I watched that in real time, and I thought he was a dead man walking. Um, I'm, and I've I've seen. Unfortunately, as a bike fan, I've seen incidents that have turned out to be fatal. Jason Dupasquier still rings in my mind as someone that watched that qualifying session live as it happened. And, like, I'm going to get into the broadcast side of this, so you might want to skip this for those who might find this upsetting, um, which is completely understandable. Please look after yourselves as uh, as listeners. I, I do try my very best to warn people as best I can before this sort of discussion happens. That was still two years ago. It it's it doesn't feel still like very, it's, it's still it's very still very raw. raw. Yeah, it's that I watched in horror as that man was having CPR delivered to him, failed CPR being delivered to him as it was happening for half an hour. It felt like days praying for news, praying for positive news. It never happened. He was dead less than 24 hours later. He was brain dead. He was taken off life support by his family because he was run over by two different people. I feared that we had just lost the world champion. Genuinely. Like the worst possible thoughts entered my mind. I saw that. I saw Binder's wheel hit his legs in real time. I was terrified at what I had just seen. Now, you can't blame the sport for that. This is the unfortunate nature of bike racing. There are, I wouldn't say one in a, maybe one in a thousand sort of days where this unfortunate kind of accident can happen. It's a walking miracle to me that Francesco Bagnaia was able to walk away from this at the end of the day, literally at the end of the day. I cannot stress this enough. Dorna has to improve the way they broadcast these sorts of incidents. A little bit of sensitivity and a little bit of empathy goes a long fucking way. I have good friends. I have good colleagues. Shout out to one of them, Laura Leslie, Autosport. She's a very good friend of mine. Does fantastic work over at Autosport. She tweeted about this, and there was a bunch of dude bros that got in her mentions talking about, oh, this is just a part of motorsport, it's fine. Fuck off. How dare someone express some empathy and sensitivity towards a horrifying situation? I get it. Maybe you've been brought up on MotoGP for the last 20 years, and do not get me wrong, the sport is absolutely guilty to a certain degree of gladiatorializing this sport. 100%. It's, it's a part of its reputation is self-inflicted. They've celebrated and championed perseverance, um, riding through injury, calling the, the riders aliens. And look at, look at you know, when Marquez broke his arm in 2020. Look at all the media coverage around that and the glorification of it. And it's, it destroyed three and a half years of the man's career. Um, because no one was willing to sit him down and say, dude, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Knock it and Marquez off. Marquez um, looks back on that now and he deeply regrets it. Yeah. But the pro you, you don't get, you don't get to take that back. Um, when you have a catastrophic injury on a motorcycle, look, 
my dad and my brother were in a motorcycle crash a better part of a decade ago. My brother still has uh, issues from it. I've wiped out on dirt bikes before. I own a motorcycle myself. There's no take backs. No. Um, you know, you fall the wrong side of that line. It doesn't matter um, what you think afterwards. If you get the chance to think afterwards um, because your of the danger in, inherent your to life's it. In, your life's out and, of your hands at that point. And, and more than usual for these guys because they're riding 300 horsepower carbon fiber aero missiles. Right. Um, I, I want to make so, this point real quick yeah. that, you know, this – I wrote this in my letter and I'll say it again here. I thought collectively sports broadcasting had learned a lesson from Euro 2020. You don't have to be a soccer fan to know what I'm talking about if you know of Euro 2020, and I'm referring to the Christian Eriksen incident. Christian Eriksen, who suffered a cardiac arrest in the middle of a game. We all saw it. The world was watching. And it was, again, a horrific example in how bad the broadcasters... The broadcasters could not have handled it any worse, in my opinion. The players had to get sheets and shield the cameras while Ericsson was having CPR delivered to him. Thank God for the referee, Anthony Taylor, who spotted the situation and probably saved Ericsson's life as a direct result of what had happened. But the fact that barricades and shields had to be put up, the fact that Kasper Schmeichel, the captain of the team, was having to comfort Christian's partner, who who was understandably distraught on the sidelines... Yeah, It was every evidence of the clumsiness and the insensitivity and the lack of humanity shown towards a harrowing incident. Thank God Christian Eriksen obviously would, you know, would go on to make a full recovery. Not just a full recovery, but like go He's on still to still be now. a very productive player in, his, yeah. in a sport. He still plays for Manchester United right now, and he's still an important player on our team. Yeah, You know, it was... It was horrifying to watch. I thought collectively we'd learned a lesson from that. Yeah, goddamn thing, because you know we're cutting to um, you know Tardozzi comforting Benyaya's partner in the garage while she is visibly well, distraught because Pecco's on the ground writhing in pain. Because don't get me wrong, he's relatively uninjured. Taking a bike to the leg sucks. I've been there, but there is zero. There justi- is no. There's, there's zero, zero justification. Ju- yeah. yeah, there is zero justification. Like, I can maybe just about entertain a debate about showing a replay, and I've, even just I to figure that's out too much. Happened. Right, um, that's and we one didn't know thing. the severity of it at that point. But there is no reason. Like these broadcasters, are, like Dorna, I have praised them to the heavens for their production truck. It's one of the very best in sports, no question. What I will say on top of that is, there is nothing stopping you from putting a content warning on a replay to yep. warn your audience about what could be. If you're going to show the replay, at even least if it's warn verbal. your audience, even if it's your commentators just saying people look away. Yeah. If you know a replay is coming, you can communicate that from the truck to, to the people that are broadcasting. And this is no jab at our buddy Lewis, who does a tremendous job over there. We all know that, right? I can just about entertain that debate. There is zero justification 
for showing a slow motion replay of Francesco Bagnaia walking around on a live track in agony, not knowing what his condition was. None. It's completely fucking insensitive. It makes me angry, whoever made that decision. There is no good reason. That is not making your broadcast any better. It is not painting any better a picture for anyone that's watching what's happened. If you've seen that live, you know exactly what happened. I do not need to see a man rolling around in agony, not knowing what's happened to him after being run over by a motorcycle. None. It is completely unjustifiable. It, 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 it angers me that I still have to say this. Did Dorna learn nothing from Jason Dupasquier two years ago? Nothing. I can't believe I'm having this conversation again. Did they learn nothing from earlier this year when Paul Espargo had his own hellacious accident to start the season? Was just out for half a year. And we got force-fed replays of it for five minutes. I mean, there were members of our Discord who walked out on the stream. There was members of our... We've had our Discord on Motorsport 1 and 1 for, I want to say, seven years now. I think 2016. And, and of course, we we ethically screen share some events for people who want to watch them because, like, hey, there's an interest in that stuff. And now, thanks to the pandemic, you know, we can can share, we can watch it together. And, like, yeah, not, not fun when that happens. And like I was, the point I was going to make here is that I've been doing this. We've been screaming. We've been streaming races in there and sharing for seven years now. It was the first time ever, as someone that hosted a stream, someone asked me to cut the feed. That's the first time that's that's ever happened to me when streaming a MotoGP race. I've never had that happen until now. Somebody said. This is too much. Dre, can you cut the feed? And we are mo- we are knowledgeable motorsport fans. We watch multiple disciplines. Some of us have been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. I've never had that before. That right. should go to show you just how f- insensitive Dorna has been about this. Now, look, I'm lucky. Uh, uh, as a privilege of my job, I get to call some of the best reporters in this game friends. Genuinely. I have it off the record that apparently this was one too many for Comedo Espelta. These only took long enough. I, I really, really hope that is true. And I really, really hope that this is the one that finally clocks with the production truck that you do not share a replay until at least the bare minimum we know the person is okay. Relatively okay. We got lucky. We were so fucking lucky this past Echo Sunday. Echo Banyaya is the luckiest man on planet Earth. We almost lost the world champion. The best bike rider on the planet right now very nearly died this Sunday. And this is the second time this season I've had to say someone got very, very lucky this weekend. It's not been a good year for bike racing. No, it's not, been a, good, it's not been a good few weeks for bike racing. Uh, no. Christmas, Haruki Noguchi was 
arguably going to be Japan's next great superbike rider. He's killed in a crash at Mandalika in the Asian Road Racing Championship. He's just 22. Otojiro Tanimoto was a journeyman who just made his way up to the top class in all Japan road racing. He died in a crash just before the Motegi Super Formula round. He was just 23 years old. We had two people in a Brazilian superbike race. I believe they were brothers, lost their life in the same needless collision. And we watched unfold in real time. It's been it's been rough. We we didn't need another tragedy to pile on top of that, let alone no. one of this magnitude. Thank no, and it's <sighs> and I mean, look, this is there is an element of that that we do sign up for as motorcycle racing fans. Yeah, yeah of course, absolutely. It, there, the risk is unimaginable. And for some, and for but many that, people who are, I've I've been told by so many people bike racing is too much and i will never argue with anybody who says that to me it's Mm. completely valid and an understandable perspective yeah but just because it is the way it is and there's elements of it that can't change because once you're off that bike it's in god's hands hands. that doesn't mean we need to have it force-fed down our throats and what i will say on top of that and matt oxley who again one of the best in the business Yes. Summed it up very well on yeah. Twitter during that red flag delay when they were obviously making sure everybody was okay and clearing the track. And I adapted a part of that for the race view that I wrote up because I think it's still absolutely spot on. We are sending 22 motorcycles with over 300 horsepower. Like, I think it's something close, to, if not over. It's the baseline. The baseline yeah. is 300 now. That used yeah. to be the peak. Yeah, we are now talking, I reckon, something in the ballpark of 2,000 brake horsepower per ton on these machines now. 22 of them with Formula One-style aerodynamics. Which have been causing crashes all year. We saw it last year, this very track last year with Takanakagami, who I owe a profound apology to because we didn't realize how big a problem this was going to be until he, he demonstrated for us the problem with the downforce of these bikes. Ask which, Marco Bezzecchi at Which had a contribution to the turn one crash here because Bastianini put his brakes on in the path of someone else and the bikes just didn't stop. You just folded yeah. the front tire. You're either, you're either looking at brake or you're speeding up because the brakes aren't working. That is a huge problem. It is a huge risk. We are flat sending, tires. We are sending 22 bikes with 300 horsepower into... With five wide with aero F1 aerodynamics, one of the heaviest braking zones of the year, full speed on, the, on this track with a full run. You're doing 220 miles an hour, going down to 60 for turn one in five and a half seconds of braking on flat tires. They are doing well. Yeah, yeah they- you know how we <laughs> talked about this a little bit, right, Dre? Mm. The, with the 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 fact that MotoGP, like everyone, shook hands to effectively collaborate on cheating last year. Yes, because I, I, I talked about teams, it. Yeah, I yep. talked about it yesterday on Twitter when people were talking about Formula One, and of course, people keep talking about Abu Dhabi of 2021, and people are like, "Oh my god, cheating! We don't like cheat cheats as bad." I was like, "I'm a MotoGP fan. The entire sport cheated last year." And then shook hands with the sport to not get punished because. Everyone was running uh, illegal tire pressures, whether hot, too high, or too low. Well, Fun you know how teams, well. yeah, Go. you know how teams are getting around 
the minimum tire pressure rule once they're up to once they're up to racing speeds well they're just running the tires flat they're running 1.4 bar which would be unsafe on a road bike to start these races because they raise so quickly because the arrow is putting so much force through them their solution to prevent the cheating is to just run the bikes in an unsafe condition we are running them on flat tires on the opening lap. A car's they, Jason, a car you're is, correct in the chat. They would yes. fail MOT. They would yeah. fail inspection if you ran. In most, the US, you yeah. would fail inspection if you ran tires that low. Same in the UK. Like most cars are a minimum of two bars of pressure on a tire. On the road, it's about two bar. They're running them at 1.4 on opening laps. They're on flat tires, and then we act surprised when there's a seven-bike pile-up on the first corner. Pecco Banyaya's bike hurls him heavenward. Why are we surprised at this? You're playing games with what should be equipment that shouldn't be up for grabs in terms of a performance benefit. Yeah, I mean, on four wheels. It's a spec tire that's not fit for purpose. Yeah, yeah, like, on four wheels. How many times have we talked about after Daytona Deflate Gate, the Rolex 24? <laughs> this year's the 10th anniversary of the teams having their hand in the cookie jar at Silverstone, swapping tires, running illegal camber settings. The, the FIA wouldn't punish them on it. Pirelli was screaming at the teams. Don't swap them. Don't swap the tires. Don't run the tire pressures that low. And suddenly Lewis Hamilton's left rear tire delaminates and flies to the sky going down the straight at Silverstone. And all anyone could do was, and all the issues that race, and all anyone could do was blame Pirelli. There was, there was five blowouts in that race. I remember that race. It was, there was five, there was five punches. When you run tires out of spec, especially a spec tire that is meant to be in a set range of conditions, you invite these problems. And it should not be a shock that these bikes that are generating more power than ever, more downforce than ever, are arguably heavier than ever, have just completely overwhelmed the thing that keeps them on the ground. And we're doing all of this in a sport that's got 50% more racing than we had last year with the implementation of the sprints that the riders did not agree to. The riders did not get a say in the cookie jar in that. They and, were laughed out of the room by those in power when talked and, about a, talking about a riders' union. And get well soon to Enea Bastianini, who has broken a bone in his hand and broken his ankle, will miss the next three rounds. It means that Enea Bastianini will miss at least eight Grand Prix this season. Yeah, his he's had a loss first season. This is the worst his, year. This was supposed to be his breakout imagine. year. It was supposed mm. to be his breakout year at a factory team, and it's been completely lost. Yeah, Bez has a broken hand. Uh, we don't know what the status of that is going forward, whether he can still ride on it. Um, we didn't come out of this unscathed at the no. end of the day. And even and even though we didn't come out unscathed, we, we as a racing community are so goddamn lucky. I think that Catalina, Peco Benia is, yeah. for all intents and purposes, okay. I think this was the first weekend of the year we had a fully healthy grid. Except didn't last actually, long, it did wasn't, it? It wasn't because Alex Rins is still out. Yeah, Alex Rins is out for the foreseeable future. Actually, going to have Takumi Takahashi yeah. taking over his bike as what, uh, five times as a great hour winner. <sighs> you know, 
as a reward for winning the Suzuka eight hours. Here's this piece of shit. Go ride it. Um, to say I, nothing I, I, of the I fact don't, that... Yeah, it's like, I don't think we've had a fully healthy MotoGP grid for a Grand Prix this year. It got a hell of a lot less healthy this weekend. Because um, Bastianini got hurt on the sprint. He missed five rounds. We had a yeah. string of injuries after that. Rin smashed his yeah. leg to pieces in Silverstone. Mir's Mark was out for a couple races. Miggy was out. Yeah. Um... We've Jesus lost Christ. count of the amount of injuries we've had this season. And Ducati's now got to run, likely, one bike next, next weekend. And they've now got to have McKaylee Pirro fill in for three more races because Bastianini's out until the flyaways. We lost seven Ducatis in the space of two corners. How? D- 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 this is one of those weekends where I honestly just look back and I go, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, I, I I can't really add any more to that. It's I wish MotoGP a very get this shit off the bikes because we also had a uh, front hole shot device failure in the race for uh, one of the KTM's um, because if we didn't have enough problems with the tires and the rear ride height devices, at some point we are not going to walk away lucky. This and is I as hope close as you something get. changes before we lose one of the riders that I love watching. Could you imagine the mainstream newspaper headlines if Francesco Bagnaia died in that accident? We'd be having a very, very different conversation about the the state of this sport. We were this close. This close. I cannot stress how It was in the hands of the racing gods that that man is not potentially career-ending injured, to not here anymore. It was purely in the hands of the racing gods. Thank heavens. For once, the racing gods have seen mercy. We don't get that very often. Thank you, uh, Jason, again in the, uh, in the chat. Two riders have finished every race. Franco Morbidelli and Augusto Fernandez. Christ. <laughs> It's a 22-bike field. And we've had a lot more than that ride at least one race this year because of all the injuries. Yeah. Two. Two out of 22. The trend needs to reverse before something happens. Like I said, this was a weekend. Like, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't live tweet. I normally do when a race is on. I just didn't feel like it after that incident. Yeah, no, I, just I, didn't. I didn't have the, the stomach to. I was just like... I, 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 I just looked at that race. I was almost, and it's a shame. I'll talk about it a bit more in a minute because this was a great day for Aprilia, and I applaud them. And they've they've earned banner the, day for them as a team. They've earned the right to celebrate how they did, and I and I'm I'm lucky they were afforded the luxury of being able to, given how the start of that race turned out. But this was one of those races where I just go, "What the fuck are we doing here? This is just." It's just, and look, I feel annoyed I'm having to do this on a podcast because I've talked, we've talked about all of these issues in some capacity relentlessly for the last two years. They just all came to a head all at once. A supernova. Sephiroth would have been proud of that one. Jesus Christ, what are we doing? Like, like, it's it's not going to be one of those occasions where I'm going to scream at the sport 
to take drastic action because we've done that for the last year and a half. Been falling on deaf ears. They are not going to get this lucky again. I cannot stress this enough. <clears throat> do something. As a sport, beat your heads together and do something because we are not going to get this lucky again. <clears throat> we have burnt out our luck on this one. Francesco Bagnaia is lucky to be alive. <clears throat> I okay. can't take another one of these fatalities. I know it's going to happen. It's a part of what we do here. But God, I'm starting to like, at what point does the personal responsibility of this sport stop? I do not know. I don't know where that line is, and I don't want to find out. Look, uh, <sighs> and I've said this, I want to say I said this after might have been Wiccan's crash in IndyCar. Racing is unsafe. No matter what kind of racing you do, whether it's two wheels, four wheels, no wheels, racing is unsafe. That cannot stop the pursuit of safety ending. You can't get complacent. And we watch every other series. I mean, IndyCar has had the same chassis for 11 years. They've revised it year on year, sometimes multiple times a year in response to the crashes that we see, the effect that it has on the car, and then you know, working on it again. And motorcycle racing doesn't have that luxury. You can only make bike racing so safe. But if your regulations are just being, if teams are just wiping their ass with your safety regulations when it comes to tire pressures, when it comes to abusing the, the limited but you can still work in a set box, aerodynamic rules. You as a sport need to step in. And right. we saw it even when teams weren't technically breaking any rules back in 2010. And the cars were safe, but people were taking their hands off the wheel in Formula One to work their F-dumps. You know, we had drivers going through Eau Rouge and Rowdy on one hand. Mm. It is your responsibility as a sport to your riders, to your fans to make sure that, to the best of your ability, your boys get home. And it doesn't feel like Dorna is putting in that effort. And eventually, it's going to bite them in the ass, and someone is going to lose their life over it. Thankfully, we didn't have to have that conversation tonight. And came way too goddamn close for my comfort. We came very, very close, but thankfully we did get a race in the end. It was a pretty mediocre race, if I'm being completely honest. You know, as we see typically with these yeah, bikes I, now. I didn't, I didn't score it in my race review because I didn't feel like it was appropriate to, to be but, honest. Um, but you know, we did get a, we got a good result out of it. We talked about it. Alicia Spargo wins. Aprilia won two. Mm. Miguel Oliveira fifth. Second time in three weekends, he's in the top five. So taking away something, something at least neutral, if not positive, from a race that started negative and lingered and has a whole negative feeling. Gentlemen, how far away are Aprilia from a genuine challenge at the front? It's hard for me to say because it feels like this year's very different machine looks similar on the surface is actually quite different to last year's. Mm, very different. 
it feels like they got lost for a little bit of how, how to get the best from this bike. It feels like they have made genuine progress recently. But I wonder how high their ceiling really is mm. when your two riders are Alicia Spargo and Maverick Vinales, because as solid as they have been, and they are, you know, when Vinales is in the right headspace, he has an he has a very high ceiling and a very high floor. Mm. Alicia Spargo is pretty much arguably like one of the highest floor guys in the field. Absolutely. Um but you have to wonder what is possible when the other guys, again, thankfully they get to keep him. Probably he is going to attempt to race this weekend. The other guys have a bike that is still better in most scenarios, certainly in terms of straight line speed. We saw that in the sprint. And you've got Pecco Benyaya and Nea Bastianini. Like, outside of DG Antonio, Ducati's worst rider is like, a different guy who's still running top eight on a given weekend. Yeah. Um, they're up against it. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it, and I remember my, my old Mucker Lewis telling me this a couple, like, this was like two years ago. He said to me, Drain, the biggest floodgate that a prettier might now have is their riders. And he probably wasn't right. He was probably more right than he realized at the time. And uh, <laughs> it's a crazy thing cool. to think when, when you consider mm. not too long ago, prospects from Moto2 were turning down rides to Aprilia, which would have been their only ticket to get in the sport because they realized, yeah, this would be embarrassing for me. What's up, Joe? This, was the, this was the manufacturer where careers went to die. Yeah, was it Scott Redding who described it as you can only polish a turd so much mm. riding this bike in like 2016, 2017? I mean, not too long ago, this was the manufacturer hanging their hat on Andrea Iannone. Remember Dirty Ian? He's coming back, back next soon. year in World Superbike. Oh, yeah. Don't piss hot again, bud. On a Ducati as well. He's a very lucky boy. Um, the joke I made, I mean, I didn't even really joke about it. One that I mentioned it in the open letter I wrote was that Aprilia used to be the nasty team. They you know, were dragged by many people. And don't get me wrong, I've always said it. Like, MotoGP Media is a boys club. Very British focused. They did fuck around Sam Lowe's. They did fuck around Scott Redding in their times that they were in MotoGP. Objectively, they messed them about when it was not they, fair. They were throwing way. bodies at the problem, much like yeah. Honda has been the last couple of years with they, their troubles. And, and their constant batting for Andrea Iannone, a guy that served the four-year ban for, for doping, and he's never taken any accountability for that. It's They were the nasty team. And then you look at their celebrations in this race. How could you hate that? Like, Alessius Bagaro is one of the all-time good dudes in MotoGP. Maverick Vinales has humbled himself as an Aprilia rider. It's basically part of the family at this point. Like, they celebrated that win like a family. Jorge Martin is a very close friend. He was third on the day. He's a very close friend of Alessius. They were arm-in-arm on the side of Park Ferme, dousing themselves in water with Alessius' kids, as part of as a, as a part of the party, it was touching scenes. I've never seen anything like it. Like they'd swapped bikes on the way back to Park Ferme. I've never seen that in twenty five years of watching MotoGP. Crazy stuff. It was it was beautiful scenes. And they got a one. T- I mean, that's and in, in many ways, you're a rival as a manufacturer. 
your factory team bringing home a 1-2 up against a very dominant Ducati. Yeah, this was their day. This was objectively their day. It was their greatest day as a manufacturer. I don't know how far, I don't know how close that is. It's, it's hard to say because you're right. I think they, they were a little bit lost the first half of this season. I think they found something. I think also low grip tracks absolutely play into their favor. And Catalonia was a bit patchy this weekend. There were spots of rain over the course of the weekend. Um, not a huge amount, not enough to massively disrupt the running, but it probably made the track a little bit slippier. Which It's a forgiving bike when the track gets greasy. Yes, and it makes your riders more confident. It makes them push more. And it adds to their speed. And that's what happened with Aprilia in this race. Now, don't get me wrong. Banyaya not being there is still a bit of a question mark because we don't know where he would have factored in if he was fully healthy and was able to take part in this. There was a big fucking hole at the front of that race where Banyaya was going to be. Seven Ducatis missing. And only five of them were able to take the restart. Both factory riders were were the two guys that couldn't take the grid again. Uh, Bears allegedly broke his hand but continued, which is fucking wild to me if that's true that he's really has broken his hand but it's a certainly a huge step in the right direction like like i won one of the big question marks for me going into this season was going to be what does a prettier do in life after concessions and the proof is they've they are they as a manufacturer they've we've won more races this season than they ever have they've got two wins to their name this year that's already a st- another step in the right direction. Because, hey, Alicia's win in Argentina last year was a little bit of an outlier. This time they can say they've won two races this year on merit. One of them genuinely beating Manyaya in a final lap showdown. Can't ask for much more than that. And, and, and was able to run down past him in uh, in the sprint here. Yeah. Um, Alicia so won by a- seconds. Yeah, because they could keep their rear tires, whereas the Ducatis were cooking them a bit. But it's just a shame as far as the competitive prospects for the season that Aprilia has probably gotten on top of their bike and their problems too late to really do anything with it. But now it's going to be a question, okay, you've won two races and you've been looking better and better across the season. You need that trend to continue. And you need to carry that into 2024 because two really high-profile names end up as free agents at the end of next year. Make yourself a destination. Yeah. If Mark Marquez is... if In a hypothetical scenario, if Mark Marquez walks out of Honda and leads Aprilia to the promised land after missing years of his prime due to injuries, wouldn't that be something... Jeez, that would shut a hell of a lot of a certain fan base up. Their multi-manufacturer thing. Third in the, um, in the, shout out to Jason again. Third in the Manufacturers Championship right now. They're 12 points behind KTM at the moment. And that's the thing. I think KTM has a worse bike across the board. Um, it's just that Brad Bender has been burning the candle at both ends to get the bike where it is. Because uh, seeing just a couple of years ago that like KTM and Aprilia would be top three manufacturers in the sport. Europe has taken over bike racing. 
Yeah, the, yeah. You just delete Japan from the uh, from the constructors tab. Could you imagine? Is, uh, even three months ago, well. we'd be we'd be saying, "Let's change the entire sports rulebook to try and get concessions for Japan to get them back into play." So what happened at the start of the 2010s with Ducati? Was Ducati fell from contenders to nowhere? <laughs> Let's not forget of the six Japanese bikes that were out there during this race. Five of them are in the bottom five finishes. Only Fabio Quattararo, who is a demon round Catalonia, was in any relevant position. I think he was seventh in the end. Last year, he won this race. He won this race on a bad Yamaha last year. He dominated this race. He was champion two years ago. Yeah. Well, well, and look, this weekend, Yamaha, like Fabio forced them to throw away their aero package for this year, go back to the previous aero, and it helped him out. Um, Mark Marquez was making shapes trying to he tried trying to bulldoze the honda into doing something and it just it doesn't have anything to give this was um, the first grand prix all year where both repsol honda saw the flag and mir barely did his his final lap times i saw this earlier on the race and i could scarcely believe it um because both of them stuck the soft on because this is just experimentation hour for honda they've got pretty much all four bikes on weird alternate setups their, their softs burnt off so bad, Mark came crashing back through the field, not literally for once, and was basically the best of a bad bunch besides Fabio. Mir's final laps were in the 144s. Those were slower than his Moto2 times in 2018. Christ almighty. Um, I mean, he was five seconds behind Lacrona, who... Uh, has been doing a good job, uh, situation considered, but just get he's, it on home. The, he's on the old bike as well, the old Honda Aero package, because now we're talking about full blown Aero packages in MotoGP. Mm. And uh, there's just not a lot positive to speak about there. I mean, I, Fabio Quadraro is still him. I, Mark I, Marquez, I, uh, bless his heart, is still trying, but there's nothing else positive in that entire country of motorcycle racing jonathan ray just bailed on kawasaki what the fuck oh yeah he did just he did go to another japanese manufacturer it's not all bad the one that spent this entire year getting its ass beat until uh they nerfed the ducati the thing i was gonna make it's worth a mention like the yes jonathan ray like the hell has frozen over jonathan ray has left kawasaki after nine years there to go to yamaha for next year is a 36-year-old Jonathan Ray better than a 26-year-old Top Rack at this point? Well, a 26-year-old Top Rack and his manager have, uh, may have rendered that question irrelevant. <laughs> Depends who you ask and if that person is Kevin Walsh on Twitter. Because uh, he's now got, uh, cause Top Rack's gone to BMW. Um, good looking luck, good like luck with gonna, that. He's, he's, uh, apparently, he's going to be for Scott Redding, allegedly. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, good luck to all of them. Um, like, you know, that's going to be like, we've also found that the Nicolo Bulig has won the Ducati second bike sweepstakes. Um, who's dominating world super sport 600 at the moment. So good luck to them. But, uh, if, if that's your idea of the last roll of the dice, Johnny, then good luck to you is what I would say. Cause, uh, yeah. Uh, Bautista still beating their ass in the QRTs as um as an old man used to say um yeah good luck to them um yeah I mean, of- mere mere talking about basically talking about what's going on on the bike at the moment i don't have any connection with the throttle to control so i just spin 
and whatever the tire I have, I destroy it. Mm. His final four laps were high 144s. His fastest lap in his sole Moto2 year in 2018 was a 144-394. This guy was world champion in 2020. (laughs) This guy was one of the highest floor guys in MotoGP until about the middle of last year when all of Suzuki destabilized in the wake of their imminent um, withdrawal. Yeah. Um, God, how has it gotten this bad? More questions. We will have to try and wait to get to Misano to answer because they're racing there this weekend. They've got a test to get through first. Um, That test might be the most important non-championship round of MotoGP running for the next five years. For Japan, what the, the future are going of to Japanese be. motorcycle racing might hinge on that test. I can't not going to be about enough, and and, and they've uh, everyone in the teams has talked about it, but it's not necessarily about coming out of the gates and having a Ducati beater. The mentality has to change because that's the only thing that's going to get you over the line. Show you if you're Mark Marquez or you're Fabio Quattararo, you've got to show them something. Show them something to show you're moving in the right direction. Otherwise, they will bail at the end of their contracts at the end of next year. Yep. No and doubt then, about uh, it. I, I spoke to Fabio Quartararo. Uh, yeah. Whoever picks up Mark Marquez and Fabio Quartararo, may God help Honda and Yamaha. Aprilia is making a very, very good argument for Fabio Quartararo, is what I will say. Masano, next this upcoming weekend, you know, we'll have to wait and see who takes part and who doesn't. We do not know yet. So Francesco Bagnaia will have a medical by the time this goes out. He's got to pass that medical on Thursday afternoon to see if he's healthy enough, declared fit to try and compete. We'll have to wait and see. Best wishes to Nea Bastianini and potentially Marco Bezzecchi as well. Um, we wish him a speedy one. Dear God, did we get lucky on this one. Places you can find us real quick, motorsport101.com is our website, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 if you'd like to back us financially on there, at Dre underscore WTF1, at cbuckley917, at RJ O'Connell, um, and of course our, the podcast itself, at motorsport underscore 101. Please, dear God, give me a MotoGP episode or I don't have to be a negative Nancy for 45 of its 55 minutes. I'm Andre Harrison. I will take the most boring race in the history of motorcycle racing next time out. I will take well, that to the bank. You, you won't have far to look, given the way the sport is at the moment. I'm mm. Andre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Take care.